If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 5. We are continuing on in our series of messages, Living Hope in a Hopeless World. Peter is writing a letter of hope to a group of Christians living across northern Turkey who are being persecuted for their faith. They had come to Jesus just like you and I do. They heard the gospel. They believed. They committed their hearts to Christ. And they started living for Jesus, but they were living in a, in a pre-Christian world, a world that not, had not yet embraced the claims of Christ. And many began to feel that Jesus and his teaching were a threat to their pagan culture, and so they opposed Christ and the people who lived for him, and they suffered persecution. It's not a lot different than you and I living today for Jesus in a post-Christian world where the claims of Christ are not readily accepted, and many people view the teachings of Christ as a threat to their pagan perspective. And so they oppose Jesus and the people who live for him. It's true around the world. It's true for all who really seek to live for Christ. So Peter writes this letter to them to encourage them, reminding them that we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. We have a hope that's literally out of this world. And here in chapter 5, he begins to address the elders of that persecuted church reminding them of their responsibility to shepherd, pastor, and lead this congregation so that they might experience the living hope of godly leaders. This is the way Peter put it in verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that never fade, will never fade away. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the church, the very bride of Christ, and that you are still shepherding your church today through the leaders you raise up whether they be elders, deacons, pastors and staff, key lay leaders who use their gifts and abilities. But as Peter addressed these elders, we're reminded of how important it is to have godly leadership. For when we have godly leaders, we can experience a deeper breath of a living hope. Thank you, God, for this word today. May it encourage all of our hearts, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a Chicago Cubs fan, you've had a banner year, let me tell you. They won the World Series this year after, at 7.45, I said, after 800 years of failing to do so. People started laughing. I said, what did I say? They said, you said 800 years. Well, they've been around a while, but not that long. It was 108 years since they last won the World Series. And you need to know that their winning this year was no fluke. It was the product of hard work and very good leadership. Theo Epstein, the team president, and Joe Madden, their manager, teamed up to provide the strategy, the culture, the players, and the plan to help take the Cubs to the pinnacle of baseball. And it isn't the first time they've done it. Epstein masterminded the Boston Red Sox win in 2004 after the Red Sox had gone 86 years without winning a World Series. Joe Madden led the Tampa Bay Rays, inarguably the worst team in baseball for the first 10 years of their existence, Joe Madden took over, and he helped them to win the American League pennant in 2008. Leadership 
makes a difference. Whether on a sports team, a nation, in the home, or in a church. And that's why Peter was addressing the issue of leadership among these persecuted Christians to whom he wrote. Peter was writing to encourage them to stay strong and to remember that in Christ they had a living hope, which is why he began the letter in chapter 1, verse 3, like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New birth into a living hope. And these believers were seeking to live out this hope as the body of Christ in the world. People, the body of Christ is the church. It's made up of all the people who have Christ living in them, who have committed their hearts to Jesus. And the church is not primarily an organization. It's an organism. It's a living body. Christ lives in me. He lives in you if you're a Christian. We live in him. And Jesus is living out his life in us and through us. We are his visible presence in the world. The church is a living organism. But this body needs organization. It needs leadership. Jesus is the head. The Holy Spirit is the power and the guide. But God chooses people that he raises up to lead in his body as they seek to honor Christ, live this out, and make disciples that impact the world. So Peter addresses the elders in this body of believers. And he said to them in verse 1, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. There's a number of words translated elder in the New Testament. This particular form of that word means literally an assembly of aged men. Anybody want to be an elder? You've got to be an old guy. No, that's not what he's saying. These were men given charge and responsibility to provide oversight to the churches. They didn't necessarily have to be old, but often they were. They were experienced at life. They were proven in their commitment, and they were mature in their spiritual walk. You see, there are two primary New Testament offices for the church. One is called elder, the other deacon. An elder has a number of words translated also as overseer, bishop, pastor, all apparently referring to the same office. They were given responsibility of oversight, preaching, teaching, shepherding the congregation. The other New Testament office is deacon. The word means servant. These were to be godly people whose responsibility was caring for the practical and physical needs of the body. And so you had elders, pastors, bishops, overseers, who were to be primarily responsible for overseeing the church, making sure of its spiritual health, and helping people to spiritually grow as they taught and lived and prayed. Then you had deacons who were godly people who were caring for the practical and physical needs of the body. And it appears that God intended these New Testament offices to be filled by men because God wanted the church to be patterned after the home, the home to be patterned after the church, and both to be patterned after creation. God made Adam, made him head of his home, just as men today are to be spiritual leaders and heads of their homes. 
but also he wants men to be leaders and heads of the church. Now, women have and should exhibit a lot of leadership roles in the church today, and they do, and rightly so. But it appears that God wanted the office of elder and deacon to be filled by men. And as we'll see later, those requirements seem to spell that out. There are specific qualifications given for men to hold these offices. But the primary requirement was that they be proven and godly examples. Because as Peter relates to these folks, people who have godly leaders can have the assurance that comes from a living hope. How do godly leaders provide that hope? Peter said, when these leaders are caring shepherds, true servants, and humble examples. People can have a living hope when they have godly leaders who are caring shepherds. Peter put it like this in verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Sheep need caring shepherds, and people are a lot like sheep. A number of years ago, Philip Keller wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. Philip Keller was from North Africa. He was an outdoorsman. He was a shepherd. And he wrote this book to help us to better understand why David, who was a shepherd, wrote like he did in the 23rd Psalm. And the comparison that sheep are a lot like people, and people are a lot like sheep. And in that book, Philip Keller says that it's interesting about sheep that they will not lie down, they will not rest, they will not grow, they will not be strengthened unless there are four requirements that are met. He said, first of all, they have to be free of all fear. They have to be free of friction with other sheep and conflict. They have to be free of parasites and problems. And they have to be free of hunger. And he says in his book, it's significant that to be at rest, there must be a definite sense of freedom from fear, tension, aggravation, and hunger. And the unique aspect of this picture is that it is only the shepherd himself who can provide release from these anxieties. He goes on to say that a flock is restless, discontented, always agitated, and disturbed, and it will never do well unless these things are gone. And he said... The same is true of people. People need help in their times of fear. They need assurance. People need help at times with interpersonal conflict and working it out. People need help sometimes in the midst of the conflict that's going on in their lives, the trials that they are suffering. They need hope. And people need to be spiritually fed. That's why Jesus identified himself as the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. He's the one who cares for his people. And he provides that caring by raising up leaders in whom he will live and through whom he will shepherd his flock. Peter himself, an elder, calls the elders of this persecuted church to be caring shepherds. To the elders among you, he said, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings 
who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Be shepherds of the flock that is under your care. In other words, be those who feed, rule, tend, and care for the sheep. These shepherds today, these elders, can be lay elders, as many churches have. It's also a term to describe the pastoral staff or a variety of other leaders that go by different names and different denominations in different churches. But the idea was this. Every congregation needs godly leaders who will caringly shepherd them. They are the flock that is under their care. A phrase that means the very people God has given to these leaders to care for, for him. They do this by watching over them and by being willing, Peter said. Watching over them is the same root word as look over them or look after them. And both aspects are true. Churches need leaders who look over them and who look after them. The looking over part means literally exercising oversight. The duty of God is to give you the the duty of keeping watch over the well-being and the growth of the congregation. Someone needs to be doing that. Jesus is doing that through these people. Looking after them means contemplating their needs and how they can be cared for. Looking after to see that they're fed, helped, guided, protected, and that they're growing. And, Peter said, you must be willing of your own free will. Which is why men are not to be forced into this role. They must be willing. There must be an inner motivation to want to care for God's people this way. God gives that motivation. It's the motivation to serve God by caring for his flock. See, this is why there are such steep requirements for elders and leaders, and why there are such stiff consequences for the work that they do. Do you remember when Paul was writing to Timothy as he took over the leadership of the church at Ephesus? A very strategic church. And Paul writes to Timothy, who himself was a young man, but a leader and an elder. And he said, as you appoint elders, Timothy, these are the qualifications. Listen to this. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, an elder, desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach. Doesn't mean he's perfect. It means when he's accused of something, he's found either to be innocent of it or he's found to be already working on it with God's help. He's above reproach. Faithful to his wife. Some translate that husband of one wife. He was to be a person who is faithfully married and is not a womanizer. Temperate. Self-controlled. Respectable. Hospitable, meaning lover of strangers. Able to teach. Not just with words, but with his life example. Not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. You cannot have a man as an elder whose primary motivation in life is money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. 
Paul interjects, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil, his judgment of pride. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. You can't have a case of a leader in a church, an elder, a pastor, a leader, who has a great reputation in the church, but outside is a laughingstock when people see his life and say, you got to be kidding, that guy is a Christian? You can't have that duplicity. A similar list is found in Titus 1. There are requirements for taking on this role. And there are also stiff consequences. They're going to have to give an account to God for how they've shepherded. That's why it says in Hebrews 13 that if you are, if you are a church that has godly leaders, you should submit to their authority and encourage them because if you don't do that, it's not going to benefit you. Hebrews 13, 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. If these leaders are distracted by a group of people who are always grumbling and complaining and they're always having to solve that, they're going to get distracted from their primary role of oversight and direction and spiritual health of the church. He said that's not going to benefit the congregation. And as teachers, they'll be judged more strictly for what they teach and how they live. James 3, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Someday, as an elder pastor, I'm going to have to give an account to God for how I've shepherded the flock. I'm going to be held accountable by God for every single word I've spoken, in public and in private. God demands accountability for his leaders. This is why elders who rule well, they're worthy of double honor, should never be falsely accused, never without two or three witnesses, and if they fail and sin, they are to be rebuked publicly in front of everyone. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. You see, this is exactly why Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Do not be quick about pointing people to these offices. Don't share in the sins of others and keep yourself pure. Peter said, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. And people who have such caring shepherds in the nation, in their homes, and in the church can have the living hope that those caring shepherds bring. 
And not just caring shepherds, but people can have a living hope when they have godly leaders who are true servants. Peter said in verse 2, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. True servants can be seen by the way they live. I don't know if you know the name John R.W. Stott, but I can assure you, if you don't recognize his name, I'll bet you have read something he's written, you've been influenced by his life, you've been affected by his teaching if you're a follower of Jesus today. That's the influence this man has had. John R.W. Stott was an English Christian leader and an Anglican cleric who was noted as a leader in the worldwide evangelical movement. In 2005, Time Magazine ranked him among the 100 most influential people in the world. He was rector of All Souls Church in London, architect of the now famous Lausanne Covenant that helped reshape evangelical thought in the world today. Author of many books, many commentaries, a distinguished scholar, a leader worldwide right up to his death in July of 2011. He passed away at the age of 90. But he remained throughout his life a simple, humble servant of God. When John Stott died in 2011, Tim Stafford in Christianity Today wrote an article about his life. And in that article, he mentioned how he traveled to Argentina once on a mission trip with Latin American theologian Rene Padilla. They went there to serve the poor. And Rene Padilla said that when they arrived in Argentina, it was in the middle of heavy rain. The street was muddy. And as a result, he said, by the time we got to the room that had been assigned to us, our shoes were covered with mud. In the morning, as I woke up, I heard the sound of a brush. John was downstairs, busy brushing my shoes. John, I exclaimed out of full surprise, what are you doing? My dear Renee, he responded, Jesus taught us to wash each other's feet. You don't need me to wash your feet, but I can brush your shoes. Here's probably one of the foremost evangelical leaders in the world who's written books and commentaries that have instructed other leaders, have helped shape evangelical thought, has been walking with God for years, known worldwide for his teaching. who gets up in the morning and quietly goes downstairs and takes a brush and begins to clean everybody's shoes because they were dirty. Godly leaders are true servants, just like Jesus. Do you remember when the disciples started jockeying for position in Jesus' coming kingdom? Jesus is doing some pretty amazing miracles. He's raising the dead, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, confronting the authorities, talking about his kingdom. And what were people assuming? Man, this kingdom's coming. I want to be a part of this. So James and John get with them on the road, and they say, Jesus, we want you to give us whatever we ask. He said, well, what do you want? He said, well, we'd like you to make one of us sit at your left and the other at the right in your kingdom. You hear what they're asking? Make one of us VP and the other the uh, speaker of the house in your new coming government. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. Have you not yet understood that if you're going to be leaders in my kingdom, it's going to demand a greater level of service and sacrifice 
Are you ready for that? In Mark 10, verse 41, it says, when the other 10 heard about this, they became so hot with James and John, they started an argument because they were getting aced out and they were really peeved about it. That's a loose translation of that verse. But that's exactly what happened. The other 10 who didn't jockey for the position thought like, whoa, man, we blew it. We're getting aced out. James and John went for the throat and we missed it. Now we're going to do it. They're not going to be first. We're going to be first. And here they are fighting among themselves who's going to be first in the kingdom. And Jesus calls them together and says, Ho, boys, hold it. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, the nations, they lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And look at this. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Many leaders want to be called servants. Precious few actually want to be the slave of all. And people, that doesn't mean that this role of elder leader, pastor, church leader is a doormat position. It isn't. The motive is everything. Jesus was a true servant of his church. Elders are to be the same. That's why Peter told the elders here that they must be eager to serve in verse 2. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Literally, be of, of a ready mind. You're already predisposed to readiness. In other words, in your mind, the decision to serve has already been made. You're going to serve God. You're taking on this leadership with the understanding it's a service position. And your service must never be motivated by dishonest gain. I love the way the King James puts it, filthy lucre. We should bring that term back. It means you're never motivated by base rewards. You're not motivated by money or position or power or privilege or honor or recognition or having your name in lights. Nothing but love for God and the love of the people of God was to be our motivation for serving in the work of God. Dennis Sawyer in Leadership Magazine once said, the difference between manipulation and leadership is motive. A leader that has the motive to gain from that experience will manipulate the sheep. But a leader who is a true servant will lead the sheep, and there's a big difference. Jesus said that our motivation in serving was the difference between being a shepherd who loves the sheep and a hireling who doesn't care for the sheep. The hireling runs away, Jesus said, because he's there for himself. And if it's going to cost him, he's gone. He's just using the sheep. But the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Elders in the church, leaders of nations, fathers in their homes 
are to be motivated to serve God and the people they've been called to lead, to feed them, to protect them, to serve them. Because people who have true servants as their leaders can have the living hope that comes from godly leaders. And not only a caring shepherd and a true servant, but people can have a living hope when they have godly leaders who are humble examples. It says in verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. People can have a sense of security when they are led by people who actually do what they say. It was last year sometime, I came across the story of a Michigan judge by the name of Raymond Vogt, who is a no-nonsense judge. In his courtroom, he had clearly posted a policy on electronic devices that if they caused a disturbance during, disturbance during a court session, the owner would be cited for contempt of court, and they would be called to pay a $25 fine at the same time. But on Friday afternoon in April 2013, he had to enforce that policy on himself. During the prosecutor's closing argument, the judge's new smartphone, which was in his shirt pocket, loudly began requesting voice commands for voice dialing. Vote said, I'm guessing I bumped it. It started talking really loud, saying, I can't understand you. What do you want me to do? My face got as red as a beet. Vote tried to turn it off. He said he couldn't. The phone kept talking and talking, creating a disturbance. Vote added, I set the bar high because cell phones are a distraction and there's very serious business going on in here. The courtroom is a special place in the community and it deserves more respect than that. I tow a tough line and I got to back it up this afternoon. At the next recess, Judge Vote held himself in contempt of court. He fined himself $25. He walked to the bailiff and he paid it. He said, judges are humans. They're not above the rules. I broke the rule. I have to live by it. You know, it takes a lot of humility and a lot of integrity for a man to do what he did. I hope I don't ever have to go to court for any offenses I've committed. But if I ever do, I hope I have that man for my judge. Do you know why? Because I could trust him to do the right thing. And a man like that, I can trust that God can use him to render a decision that's right for me. Thomas Carlyle once said, one example is worth a thousand arguments. That's the kind of people God wanted presiding over the proceedings in his church. Peter said the elders were to be examples to the flock in verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Not lording it, not exercising dominance as though you were above or better than them. They're entrusted to you. It's a very interesting phrase. It's literally God's heritage chosen by lot. Meaning something like this. God has chosen these as his heritage 
And he's chosen you as his leaders to be the ones he entrusts them to. So be examples. Be the mark of the blow, the imprint of the seal, the casting of the mold. Those are all translations of that word. In other words, your life is to be lived in such a devotion to God and service to his flock that your life and example actually imprints Jesus into their lives. You become an example, a figure, a pattern, a form, a print of what God wants them to become. That's why Paul told the believers at Philippi to follow his example and to find others who could be models for them on how to live for Christ. Philippians 3, verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. People, what what do children in a family need? They need someone not just to tell them, but to show them what living for Jesus looks like. What does a nation need? A nation needs leaders that will actually tell them the truth and will model what that truth looks like and will own it when they violate that. What does a church need? A church needs people who will tell them the truth, who will model that truth and honestly admit their failures when they violate that. This is why leaders who are good examples are so vital to every nation, church, and family. Rarely will any family, any church, or any citizenry rise above the level of their leaders. That's why before we formed an elder board 33 years ago, or before we recommend elders or deacons to you, or any staff, we examine them. Because you can't have a church that glorifies God, makes disciples, and impacts the world for Jesus if you don't have leaders that are living that. That's why whenever I'm called to help out churches that are forming their leadership core, trying to chart out their philosophy of ministry, trying to figure out what they're going to become, when I get asked to come and help churches with that, I always ask them the same three questions. I start with this. What kind of people does God want deployed into the world for Jesus Christ? What do they look like? What kind of attributes should they have? What character should they possess? What would their priorities be? The second question is this. What kind of church does God use to produce those kinds of people? Then the third question is easy. What kind of leaders does God use to help produce that kind of church? Because rarely will the people rise above the commitment of their leaders. That's why I share with our elders and deacons here. That's why we share together with our staff. You want to have a praying church? Then you better be praying people. You want to have a church that reaches out to lost people, their friends, their neighbors, the people they work with in their neighborhoods? Then you better be a people doing that. You want a people who are generous in their giving, who see giving as worship, who sacrifice to do that so that God and his people have the resources they need to more greatly impact the world for Christ? You want to have that happen? Then you better be those givers. 
You want people committed to the Word, finding Christ here, walking in obedience, seeking to glorify Him? Then you better be people who do that, who live that in public and in private. Because what your leaders are, your church will become. That's why Peter said, be an example. Not perfect. Be real. Don't lord it over people. Don't manipulate them. Lead them. Because when a nation, a church, or a family has godly, humble examples they can follow, they can have the living hope that godly leaders bring. Leadership makes a difference. Whether you're Chicago Cubs, whether you're the nation of America, whether it's in your home with your family, or whether you are a church called Golden Hills. Leadership makes a difference. That's why Peter said, I want the elders, I want the leaders of the church to be people who are caring shepherds. I want the elders to be men who are caring shepherds, true servants, and humble examples. There are many leaders in a church, men and women who are called by God to serve in those roles. There can be many on our pastoral staff and other staff people, but there are two New Testament offices, elder and deacon. In addressing the elders here, Peter said, they need to be men who are caring shepherds, true servants, and humble examples. And Peter told them that someday, when the chief shepherd returns, he's going to be carrying a crown to give to those who have shepherded well. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. A crown that will never fade away. Crown of glory. The kind of leaders that God's looking for are people who never do it for the crown. They don't even think of the reward. They do it because they're godly people. And for all eternity, God said, those who have been faithful to this, I'm going to give a crown. And they're going to wear it. So that in heaven, everyone will see the shepherds who have faithfully been the godly leaders that the people needed. They'll be wearing those crowns. Leadership like this is desperately needed in every nation, every church, and every home, and that's why I'm so grateful for the leaders here at Golden Hills, for the men who are our elders and our deacons, for the staff that we have, and the many lay leaders we have leading significant ministries in our church, men and women alike. You see, I know a lot of these people. They are not perfect people, and they're led by someone who's as flawed as they come. Perfection was not the standard. Godliness was. And I have the utmost confidence that the leaders of our church are caring about us and leading us where we need to go.
And when they make mistakes or sin, that'll be confronted and they'll be held to account so the people can learn to trust those who are leading them. And the result will be a strengthened church with godly leadership that gives people a living hope in a hopeless world. God, the church has to be a place where this is lived out. Where godly people are called to serve and shepherd and, and lead. And I'm praying, God, that you will continue to put your hand upon the leaders of this church in every church who calls themselves followers of Jesus. I thank you, God, for the men who serve as our elders, who serve as our deacons. I thank you for those who serve on our staff. I thank you for the many men and women who are serving in key roles of leadership throughout this body, who care deeply for this church, and who are giving themselves to serve and to be examples. And I'm praying, God, that as they live this out, your hand will be upon us. And if you should delay in your coming, generations that follow us, with their eyes on Jesus, will look to the true chief shepherd and be the godly leaders who bring a living hope in a hopeless world. And we thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen.